And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. So, what is the fate and future of humanity? It's a question I think about on a regular basis. And who better to offer a unique perspective on this than one of our beloved featured guests who's making her 10th appearance on the show tonight. She had an incredible after-death experience. And in the afterlife, she had an incredible knowing of what humans were like and visions of future events on Earth. So I'm very excited to welcome her back. Before we begin... I am in the green zone right now as far as the baby goes. So at any point in time, I could be getting a tap on my shoulder from my wife that says, oh, we got to go. We have to uh, get the kid out. So can't wait. Lately, I've had several people ask me, uh, what are you going to name your son? And I go, well, we're actually going to name our son after you. They're all taken back. Like, really? I'm like, yep. Yeah. We're going to name him Asshole. <laughs> His name will be Asshole McCormick. We name him after you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they don't really react very positively at all. Uh, all right. Let us begin tonight's show. It's a great honor to welcome back to our show one of our most beloved guests, requested to guest. And that is Nancy Dannison. She's author of several wonderful books, her latest books called Create a New Reality, Move Beyond the Law of Attraction. You can learn more about Nancy by going to two different websites. One of them is backwardsbooks.com, and the other one is nancydannison.com, and that's N-A-N-C-I-D-A-N-I-S-O-N. Ms. Dannison, welcome back. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you, Mr. McCormick? Uh, doing pretty good in our uh, in our crazy world. So, one of the things you wanted to touch upon is what is happening in the world right now compared to what you had seen as a vision when you had when you were in the afterlife. Do you think that, based on uh, as your as news comes out and what you're observing in the world, that this could be really the end of humanity for the second phase, and that we're on to the next phase? As I hope your audience recalls, while I was in the afterlife, I was shown a documentary history of Earth, you know, kind of like a movie, and it had um, like a PowerPoint presentation over the top explaining what things were, and then I also got knowings while it was going on explaining to me what things were. And part of that uh, vision or documentary history was actually the future of Earth. And I saw, based on the you know the PowerPoint presentation, that Earth history is divided into three epochs. The first was when the dinosaurs roamed the Earth, and when the dinosaurs were all killed off and the Earth re-terraformed, 
That was the end of the first epoch. We're currently in the second one. And then I showed that there was a third one coming and that there would be a, a long transition period during my lifetime into the next epoch. And that time period would be much calmer, more peaceful, more um, community-based, uh, more like, you know, kind of what you read about the early days of America, you know, where people were self-sufficient and, and also, you know, came together as a community to help each other out. So in that future time period, uh, what I saw was that this transition would be going on and the transition would consist of all kinds of natural disasters, all kinds of illnesses that are novel and unique, such as common viruses mutating into deadly viruses. I saw that um, the human population was greatly reduced. It's not wiped out. I did, did not see any event like a war or a natural disaster, you know, like a comet hitting the earth. I didn't see anything like that that would wipe out major portions of humanity in one fell swoop. What I saw was that one by one, people would be dying, but it would be by the choice of the soul inside the body. And what I thought when I was in the afterlife was that like the end of this transition period or the most chaotic part of the transition period was going to be in 2013. When I got home from the hospital, I wrote down on a piece of paper, get out of the stock market by February something, wow. 2013. <laughs> and of course that day came and went and, you know, I don't think anything disastrous happened then, but if it did, it's kind of been cured, you know, in recent years. But it does look to me like what is going on in the world right now with this pandemic and with the natural disasters and with a, literally chaos among you know, populations of the world, that this looks a lot like what I saw in the afterlife as the transition into the next phase of Earth history, Earth's life. Wow. I wonder if it's going to happen if we're going to see people dying because of the virus or we've seen so many people lose their jobs and become economically displaced and apparently there's always an association when people lose their jobs that uh, takes a toll on their mental health so I wonder if we're going to see an increase in people having suicides or you know just basically losing their ability to provide for themselves do you think that an economic depression would actually could actually be strong enough to take out large swaths of the population. Would that be substantial enough, or do you think it would have to be a virus of some kind that would have to do the uh, be more responsible for it? One of the many blocks or downloads of information I got while I was in the afterlife was about human animals and what they're really like, what their core nature is, what their common traits are. You know, the fact that most of the personality that we think is human actually belongs to the soul inside the body, not, not to the human animal. And it was made very clear to me in that download 
that humans were designed to have this very strong survival instinct. They will do anything to survive. So while I definitely think that economic displacement is taking a toll on mental health, I think just the isolation is taking a toll on mental health. I don't, I didn't see, and I don't have any feeling that something like mass suicide or, or many suicides um, was one of the causes of so many people, you know, leaving the planet during this transition period. I think the survival instinct is too strong. You know, what? I really want to question that survival instinct because I know some people will do. It's kind of weird. There are people who will do anything they can, I guess, because they want to stay alive. Yet at the same time, these people will also have five or six cheeseburgers and they'll smoke <laughs> and they'll drink, but they'll isolate because, look, I'm, I care for my health, so I'm staying isolated, but I'm going to order in and eat Chinese food all the time. So that's what I wonder. I'm like, do they really have that instinct? Because if they really had that instinct, then I imagine that at least in the U.S., a lot of more people would be in much better shape because they're, you know, they're doing whatever they can to be healthy, instead of you know drinking uh, McBurger milkshakes or whatever. Oh, you had to go say milkshake. I had to. Oh, I would say <laughs> Mc, McBurger, McBurger um, shakes. <laughs> yeah, well, the burgers don't interest me, but I would love to have a milkshake. Um, I, that does sound contradictory, that if the survival instinct were so strong that people wouldn't be so self-destructive. But what's going on there is that there's a part of the brain that medical scientists call the pleasure center that gets triggered by fatty foods um, and sweets. And once that's triggered, it's, it's an addiction. You know, it may not be an addiction to the point where you have to eat, you know, 50 hamburgers and milkshakes a day, but it is an addiction to the extent that that's what you gravitate to. Smoking, we know, is an addiction. Drinking is an addiction. You know, the pleasure center gets addicted. I wonder if... And the two just exist simultaneously. <laughs> I wonder if fear is, is an addiction, because I, I, I feel that some people gravitate towards that. And, um, yes, I got, um, I was listening to a song once and I don't remember which one it was, but right in the middle of the song and it said something about, you know, it was talking about addictions and said something about fear and right in the middle of it, I got this like download of information that humans can get addicted to fear in much the same way they get addicted to the highs of something like skydiving or running into a fire to put it out or you know, running in to save somebody. Those kinds of activities put out a lot of hormones that are addictive and fears, you know, the same way it can be addictive. Based on your experience, the afterlife, I believe that I'm pretty sure, Correct me wrong, but does each human being have its own destiny, its own mission, and is there a collective destiny of the species? If you have collective groups of people that are all feeling the same way at the same time, 
are they collectively manifesting reality for everyone else? Is there like a basically a, um, a manifestation by gang rule where you have a certain points of attraction known as human beings? They're all feeling the same way that are manifesting reality for everyone else, regardless if everyone else wants to participate in that. And also, is there a, you know, again, a, a destiny or a collective soul lesson for large swaths of people that are on the planet right now? Okay, let's break that down. That's a lot of questions. Does each human have its own destiny? No. I learned in the afterlife that there's no such thing as destiny. There's no such thing as fate. Each soul makes its own choice before incarnation what it wants to learn about or study or experience during a human life. But that you know, field of study or that um, experience that the soul wants to have doesn't have anything to do with destiny. And is, and is there a collective destiny? Yeah, or a collective manifestation. So maybe like, you know, certain people arrive at the planet, they all have their own purpose, but then they're part of a collective group where, okay, well, you know, this, this people of this country will go through this and people on the earth at this time will go through this and this is all part of, you know, you know your, your big package of coming here. I think something like that is going on, Ryan. Um, I used to belong to an organization called International Association for Near-Death Studies, and we often had speakers. And one of the speakers at a meeting that I attended had been had died six times, six different ways. Oh my God, he was murdered a couple of different ways. Yeah, you know, you know, was was shot in Vietnam. I mean, he was you know any way that somebody could die, he went through it. And he was a remote viewer. While he was in the military in Vietnam, his, you know, I guess the higher ups discovered that he could see and far enough into the future to know where the enemy was going to be and how to avoid it. So they put him as point man for his troop. And he would, you know, go, that's one, how he got killed once was he was the point man and he got the first volley of, of gunshots. But he, became known within, you know, the army as a remote viewer. So when 9-11 happened, the army came and picked him up. And he'd been out of the service for, you know, decades. But they sent, you know, a group of guys to come and pick him up. And he, this, this near-death experience said that he was taken to a facility where there were, I think he said, two other remote viewers there. And they were all asked to look and see what was going on and why did 9-11 happen. You know, he, they wanted these remote viewers to basically get intel on, you know, why the towers came down and, you know, why the Pentagon was breached by an airplane. And so while he was doing remote viewing on the Twin Towers, you know, in, in New York, he saw that large groups of souls had agreed to leave the planet at the same time that they were here as a group they incarnated as a group at the same time and they located themselves in the twin towers and they chose 
to leave the planet as a result of the towers coming down and that their collective purpose was to bring attention to the fact that, you know, here we have first responders putting their lives on the line. We have, you know, so much going on during, you know, this time period in history, and part of which was, you know, we were supposed to be protecting our country from foreign invasion, and 9-11 was basically a foreign invasion. So their collective task or their goal or their, their mission was to wake people up, and it did. You know, 9-11 was a huge impact on American society, politically, socially, economically, morally. So yes, I think that there are people who have come here as missionaries and as messengers, and they are creating events that the rest of us don't participate in creating, but we do experience the repercussions. And do you have anything within your, your intuitive nature or gut feeling that say that there are going to be some more events that are going to happen? They're going to shift humanity very in different directions. Because I'm at a point right now where I wonder if there's going to be a shift in people really just taking their civil liberties very seriously or talking about freedom very seriously. I feel like it's there's a battle going on. It's raging, but there isn't that, that spark that really just set people off in high gear. I wonder if that's going to happen. I wonder if there's going to be something else that's going to occur that is going to, you know, hopefully let people stand collectively with other people and not, you know, be like a warlike towards other people. So I wonder if there's anything on the horizon. Well, I think we're there. I think this pandemic is one of those opportunities or one of those events. It's something that ought to focus our awareness and wake people up to the huge divides in our society, and at least in America, and I don't know about other countries, but I suspect it's going on there too. You know, we have become a split nation, and people are not standing together. They're standing and pointing fingers at each other. Yeah, I, I think it's, I couldn't agree with you. I know I probably share different perspectives on this, but. I think that uh, America is going in two different directions, and I would say the vast majority of people are comfortable with, with tyranny, and they're comfortable being dominated. And a lot of people, this small percentage of people are the ones that are standing for freedom. And we brought, we talked earlier today, and I wanted to ask you, because I think we are saying that this could be a political discussion. My father thinks that discussions of tyranny and freedom are political, but when you talked about human beings, and... We understand that you are a spirit. You come into a physical body. So as you join and you partner with your physical body, my understanding is that you already experience a type of restriction because you are no longer able to traverse the known universe, which would be considered the inner workings of Source's mind or the mind of Source as a point of attraction for Source. So as you take on these, this physical form, you not only have the restriction there, but then you have this idea that maybe humans are like animals and they want to dominate each other so you come in here you have the restriction then you have other humans that are trying to impose restriction upon each other i guess the question i'm going to is does humanity does collective humanity ever get to experience an era 
where the individual points of attraction, the imaginations of Source, the humans that were created by Source, get to experience freedom in its fullest form, or is being a human puts you in a path where at some point in time or another you're going to live under some form of tyranny because I feel like the world collectively speaking is there and it's getting progressively worse and I, I cannot understand how true freedom does not amass at some points in places throughout the world. Okay, what are you calling freedom in its fullest form? Okay. What, what would that look like? Freedom in its fullest form would be a community or a world where there is no such regard for authority, where there is where authority is, is thought of as a superstition, where a human being does not uh, give way to another human being, does not adhere to the authority of a human being, does not allow another human being to dominate them, does not recognize a, a human being as being above them, and at the same time, a true free society where true freedom happens is all volunteer, where people voluntarily decide that they want to give money towards a place. They're not uh, forced, they're not having the money stolen from them through taxation. A free society of collective responsible individuals would be people that generally have the well-being of each other at their, at their best interest, where they, they, they want to participate, they want to help others, so they don't need to have laws that say, well, you're going to be punished if you do this. Um, a free society would be like the right to privacy, the right to travel, the right to come and go as you please, the right to do whatever you want to do so as long as you do not cause any harm to others. And in the last six weeks, I've seen a lot of those rights that I've just described as being completely suppressed. People cannot travel. They cannot worship in a house of worship, regardless if I believe it or don't believe in it. Uh, they, they're being told they can't hug other people. They're being told that they, they should be restricted of what they say or what they do. And even though these are people who would, no, would never cause harm to other, any other. So getting back to it, I would say total freedom is the individual does anything they wish so as long as they harm no other person. I think you are describing basically what I saw as the third epoch. Okay. And I think the reason why so many people had to, you know, die off, I mean, they did it by choice. Like each individual soul decided, you know, if they were alive at the time of the, the actual beginning of the, of the third epoch, they had to decide, could they do more good staying here in the body or could they do more good by leaving and going into the afterlife and, and working their magic from there? But what I saw as the third epoch was a society like you described. Now, those souls will still be inside human bodies. And human nature is hierarchical. It's into domination. It's into competition. Those human traits would have to be overcome by the exercise of the soul's free will to behave differently. So it is possible for a society to exist where everyone has everyone else's best interests at heart and everyone works cooperatively and collectively for the betterment of everyone, but it would take a collection of souls that are 
very much aware of their spiritual nature and who are what we would call enlightened, for lack of a better term. Where do you see uh, the majority of people on the planet right now? Do you think that it, it is that society is possible, or do you think that society may be destined to, to go undergo some type of uh, tyrannical uh, period of time? Because, Nancy, when I look around and I see people, I see a lot of people in fear. I see a lot of people that are very afraid, and I know that I understand that there's fear it would increase awareness, but when you when you're in fear and you don't think critically and there's lack of critical thinking, that's when I feel that there is a, um, a, a seceding of control to another pe for another person. I know that a lot of people are afraid about what's going on and there's an uncertainty, but I I don't know. I just I can't trust any other people to make my own decisions for me. So I'm just wondering, where do you see humanity right now? Do you see humanity at a point where we have enlightened people on the planet or are we just kind of like, we're kind of, are, are the people that are enlightened, are they kind of like, well, listen, unfortunately, there's not enough of you. There's more people that are thinking a certain way, and you're just going to have to ride the wave that they're, they're manifesting. Now, this is not based on anything I saw in the afterlife or any memory from the afterlife, okay. but it's what I'm observing, you yep. know, as a, as a per person participating in this time period. Yep. And what I see is that there's about, or seems to be about a 50-50 split. I think about half of the people of the world would be capable of living in this type of society that you describe and that I saw as the 30 puck, and about half or a little more than half would not be capable of doing that because they either lack awareness of their spiritual nature or they lack the strength to overcome the animal nature of their bodies. And the more fearful people are, you know, you're absolutely right, the less they think critically and the more they're liable to glom on to some leader or some spokesperson and just turn their thinking and their decision-making over to that other person. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Well, that's what... And I think that's why there's such a great divide. Yeah, I'm really concerned. I don't... I don't want to live in, in, the, in this, this, this tyranny. I mean, I, they, I feel like there is a push to control people, to take away their privacy, and they keep on selling this thing. Well, you know, it's for your own safety. And uh, every time someone from the government speaks, I, I don't, I don't trust them at all. I, I know some people may be completely different, but I don't trust them at all. I never, ever have ever thought that anyone from my local council member to the mayor or to, to a governor or to a president or any president, no matter who they are, has ever had my best interests at heart. I always think that I think people are only capable of truly deciding what their best interests are. And I do fear, I will, I am concerned that a lot of people are just giving up their, their, their sovereignty, their sense of sovereignty, and, and they're okay with it, and they're, they're comfortable with other humans doing this. When you are in the afterlife, and you were getting a full glimpse of human nature. Did you ever come across a point where humans were also self-destructive, that their inhibitions, collectively speaking, would destroy their own species? Or do they have something within them, like a fail-safe button or a fail-safe mechanism that kind of just, I don't know, stops them from being totally self-destructive? Because uh, I, I ask that because I wonder how far things are going to go. I wonder if humanity is going to descend 
greater and greater into a full-blown global tyranny or if it's going to get to the point where we're just going to be there and there's just going to be like there's going to be a sudden awakening like a fail-safe button within our souls where a lot of the souls say no we're just we're not going to allow this to happen well the soul is the fail-safe mechanism the bodies will always act like animals they are animals they have innate animal traits they are self-destructive selfish oftentimes lack empathy for one another. And that's just the way humans were designed by source. The fail-safe mechanism is we souls are inside them. We have unconditional love. We respect one another. We do what's best for the majority of people. We're not selfish. If enough people would wake up to their true spiritual nature, and act in accordance with that, we wouldn't have these problems. Another thing that I've been trying to impress upon people is that when I was in the afterlife, I saw that this collection of souls that I call all those with an interest in earth, catchy name, <laughs> but all those with an interest in earth includes all of us. So it's all the people who are or who are incarnated on earth or who have ever been, and then those who just have an, an intellectual interest in earth. That collection of, of parts of sources, awareness and mind maintains earth, maintains its physical environment, maintains the weather, maintains, you know, the, like the default settings for earth. It's all manifested. It's all collectively manifested. If enough of us would wake up and say, I'm going to change this. This is not what I want Earth to be like. I intend for this pandemic to stop. I intend for people to stop being selfish. I intend for people to stop dominating each other. I intend for people to stop fighting one another. We have the power as source the little parts of source that, that we call our, ourselves, we collectively have the power to change it all. We just have to do it. Now, when it comes to that, do we need a majority or can a minority of points of attraction of souls, a, a minority of creations within sources of mind, if they will it I hard don't know. enough, can we do it? I don't know. Right. I wasn't given any kind of numbers or anything like that. I'm, I'm trying to will it. You know, another thing I was thinking about is we live on a planet right now. There's, I don't know, like maybe 7 billion people. And then you've got like a small percentage of people that are trying to inflict all these horrible things. Because, you know, I, 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 I've talked to one of our previous guys. We're talking about aliens and talking about how the UFOs or aliens are always giving, you know, humanity warning. Well, you know, if you don't shape up, the world's going to be, you know, messed up. And it's like, well, it's only a very small percentage of the people that are, you know, running all these industrial, you know, companies and polluting the earth. And yeah, a lot of people may be asleep at the wheel, but I think there's only a small percentage of people that are driving it. So what I'm asking is, coming into is, if Source were to have all these creations and uh, to have all these 7.7 .7 billion people, which are imaginations of itself, wouldn't Source have a vested interest or just be curious to wonder what the 7.5 billion manifestations of its imagination would do 
if they were in freedom, living in freedom, or would Source just say, you know what, I've created these $7.5 billion, it looks like I'm just going to be comfortable with allowing a small percentage to dominate them and to restrict them. I'm wondering if Source has a vested interest in seeing uh, people experience freedom for the sake of fulfilling its own curiosity, because I would imagine that if a person is free to do what they wish and free to create, there's more manifestation and more curiosity to be fulfilled for Source as opposed to a being that is restricted, knowing that it only have a set number of activities and actions within its lifetime. The source that I came to know intimately while I was in the afterlife does not have a vested interest in anything, in any outcome, in any plan, in any aspect of anything in the physical world. Source's intention is to just see what happens, see what (laughs) the various parts of its mind want to manifest. And Source created human animals in a certain way in order to see what it's like to live that the way that humans do and also to give challenges to Source itself, you know, for the the parts of it that enter into humans as, as souls. You know, it's a challenge to be in a strong, instinct-driven animal like a human that also has a fairly good mental capacity. Um, so Source is interested in the challenge and in the seeing how things work out and, you know, how people creatively come up with solutions. Now, when you're talking about freedom, a lot of what I hear in the marketplace, <laughs> in the media about freedom really is a misunderstanding of how society works. When when humans live in society, it's a social there's a social contract going on. The contract is, you know, I will pay you if you will do work for me. It's I will provide utilities for you if you will pay for the utilities. It's, I will wear a seatbelt and protect you from, um, and, and drive, you know, a safer type of vehicle and protect you from being killed on the highway if you'll do the same. I will stop smoking in public so that you won't get uh, side stream lung cancer. You know, there are things that people call freedoms that actually aren't, aren't really freedoms. I mean, nobody has the freedom to harm another person. Nobody has the freedom to cause somebody else to have lung cancer. Nobody has the freedom to cause somebody else to get COVID-19 and possibly have organ damage. You know, those aren't freedoms. That's, if if you want to live that way, don't live in society, you know, live off the grid and, you know, do your own thing because society only works if people agree to do certain things for each other. Okay. Well, when it comes to just basic human rights, like I think of the Bill of Rights as just, you know, codifying or some way, like just things that people should know. I mean, the, the right to, to worship, the right to be left alone, the right to speak, the right to pay, pretty much go about your own way and be the liberty of life, liberty of happiness, so long as you do no harm to others. I really, I, I think what you said that. Yeah. You yeah, know. but see, it's, 
it's it's that part about doing no harm to others that that causes all the conflict. You know, people uh, rail against um, wearing a seat. I remember when seatbelts were instituted, and I mean, there were huge groups of people that were railing against that. And how dare you tell me how I can drive yeah, my car? Yeah, well, it's your own body. You know, the, like- the same, the same. Same thing happened when the shoulder harnesses went in. The same thing happened when, you know, smoking was prohibited in the workplace. Same thing happened when smoking was prohibited in restaurants. You know, people will rail against being told you can't do a certain thing because they're willing to accept the risk of harm to themselves. What they're not doing is looking past the end of their nose to see that these activities cause harm to other people. You know, the driving without a seatbelt causes harm to other people. How does it, how does it smoking in a public place? If you get if you go out the window, I mean, aren't you only harming yourself if you if you get into an accident? Well, I don't have an answer for that. Um but I can see what you're saying. I understand you're saying like, you know, as long as I mean if you're doing something as long as you're not harming someone else if you Well say, you're no you are harming you are harming somebody else because it depends on, on who you are and what your life is. If you take the risk of, you know, something that could end your life, you know, skydiving, you know, whatever. And you're willing to take that risk for yourself. That's fine. But what if you have a spouse and children and parents and grandparents and, and people in the workplace who depend upon you and, you know, all these other people in your life, do you have the right to take the risk for the, to make them take the risk? And, you know, there's, there's no answer to that. It's just, it's an individual choice and every, every individual has to weigh the risks and, and benefits of what it is they want to do. That's risky behavior. All right. Well, um, I just want to ask you is about cunningness, about how cunning as human beings really are. And I want to bring up two things is that in the course of looking at uh, what's happening in the world and trying to examine the, the people that are really running things or dominating. My understanding is that there are a lot of secret societies. I guess secret societies have always existed throughout humanity, but apparently there are some societies that do pretty disturbing rituals or they, they, they try to come in contact with uh, entities that are not of this world, that are uh, considered like demonic or evil. And I know you've addressed evil in your books and you've talked about it being uh, an innate uh, manifestation, I guess, of what's inside of humans. But do you, have you ever come across the idea or feel the idea that humans that actively try to communicate with other forms of intelligence that maybe even be higher than human beings could in any way, shape, or form be giving themselves an advantage over dominating the human beings that are on this planet. If humans are capable of, again, coming in contact with another intelligent life form that has similar interests, whether it be a dark life force or a light life force, as we would, as humans would judge it by, would they have a considerable advantage over other human beings in terms of influencing how the fellow human beings think, act, or work? Well, I was in the afterlife. I saw no evidence that humans can communicate with aliens. I saw that absolutely there are no such things as demons, Satan, the devil, hell. Those things don't exist. So you can't communicate with them. 
I saw when I was watching the history of Earth and its future, I saw no alien contacts with humans, which you know, kind of breaks my heart because I was really hoping that was, that was true. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big sci-fi fan. I'm a Star Trek you know, fan Ooh. from way back. Um, but I saw no evidence that any of that goes on. So I don't know who these secret societies think they're communicating with. But I suspect that it's nothing real, Got and it. they they can't get an advantage. Got it. I wonder by you know. Got it. Because when um people listen to this show, we've had people who come listen to us, and they realize that there's a certain type of teacher that we have on our show, which is why I think it's awesome. We've had you on so many times, and I always think that you're teaching a lot and trying to help people to become aware of what is really going on is there anything that people can do to become more powerful in terms of manifesting a peaceful solution to what is happening in the world because one of my biggest fights nancy is i will stand the day i die against any form of oppression or tyranny i'm very passionate about animals as well I do want peace. I do love uh, peace. And I don't really care um, who people are on the other side of the planet. I mean, I, I want everyone to experience peace, even the sociopaths who are harming us. I just want to be left alone. So that being said, what are some of the things that people can do to, let's say, for example, have a leg up in terms of you know putting some extra love out there, or doing anything to manifest a, a more peaceful reality with greater force, even when a vast majority of their fellow human beings on the planet are not in contact with their spirit are just kind of doing whatever their human body wants them to do. Well, let's, let's break this down a little bit. There is nothing that a human can do to manifest anything. Humans are manifestations. They have no power to manifest. The soul inside the human, what we call the soul, the part of source's self-awareness inside the body that we call soul, has absolute power to manifest. It can't be increased or decreased. It just is. So either you know you have the power to manifest and use it, or you don't. It's like an on-off switch. It's all or nothing. And the problem is there are a lot of people who are not aware that they have the ability to manifest a more peaceful reality. And if more and more people would become aware of that, then they would be in the majority and there would be a greater possibility of a peaceful resolution to life and a peaceful reality. And, is there any, you mentioned before that source really doesn't care about what happens. It's like, you know, it's, ah, I'm going to throw these marbles on the ground and see how they kind of roll around and we'll see what happens. Maybe some will, will be okay, some will hang into each other. I want, is there any way that source's own creation can kind of get on source's good side and kind of like get the full attention of source? Okay, so you and I, like, we are manifestations of source. We are source. We're source's imaginary creatures. But is there anything that, knowing what source was like that source kind of likes i mean is there anything that humans can do 
and they're you know combined with their spirits to kind of you know captivate sources attention say hey you know i'm one of your zillions of creations but here's a good idea here's a reason why you should give me your full attention here's a some reasons why maybe you should try it this way. I mean, can humans actually petition Source and do anything that would captivate Source's attention compared to other humans and other spiritual forms? No. Oh, bummer. <laughs> oh, I baked answer. all those cookies for nothing. No. Uh, oh, give the cookies to me. <laughs> okay. um, there, there's nothing humans can do to catch Source's full attention. That's That's a concept that comes from ancient religions where the core belief is that God is up here somewhere and we are down here at the bottom and we have to make supplication to the all-powerful God for, you know, whatever it is that we want. And what I learned in the afterlife is that that model of life of reality does not exist. That's a human thought up model of reality what i learned in the afterlife and and being inside source and and having access to its memories of creation and and its explanations to me of of how things work is that there's only one entity all of the universe all of creation everything is inside source's imagination inside its mind there's no separation there's no you know there's nobody out there to get sources attention. There's nobody out there at all. Everybody's inside source. So source is fully aware of everything in its own mind has complete attention turned to everything within its own mind. There's no need to try to get your own attention. And that's what it would be. It's like humans are like dream characters. They're not real. And, you know, sort there's... You know, that is so awesome you just said that because I can't... I, Nancy, I swear, later tonight, my wife says something to me, I'm like, listen, you're not real. I can't, I can't wait to tell her that. But I'm sorry, go ahead and interrupt you. Well, when you're in the physical um, frame of mind, the physical perspective, yep. of course humans are real. Oh, okay. But, but from sources perspective... They're not. It's just like when you're inside it, when you're dreaming and you're a character in the dream, the dream seems real while you're in it. Yeah. And then when you wake up, you know, you know, it was a dream. It's the same thing. You know, it's like, you know, while source of soul, you know, parts of source are called souls or inside humans, it's very real. But once you leave and you, and you, you know, awaken from the dream, you know, it's not real, but you can't say that those two things are mutually exclusive. You know, you can't say that humans aren't real just because they're not real to source because they're manifestations. Just like you can't say your your dreams aren't real. You actually have them. The experience is real. It's there. You feel it. You have the emotions. It impacts your life. But the characters themselves aren't real. Well, in source's mind, you have some characters that want to manifest they want to have something they, they say look we want to have life this particular way and you have other characters that want to say well we, we want to have life this particular way why does life happen for a particular way for one part of sources creations and why does it not happen for other parts of sources creation 
What is is this source? Every pick, pick and choose or everybody? No, every everybody creates their own physical life, their own physical events, their own opportunities, experiences. What what's happening is that what makes you think that some people are are creating what they want and other people aren't is because the people who you would label aren't getting what they want are manifesting beliefs they're unaware of. They're manifesting the same beliefs as the people who are getting what they want, but those beliefs don't support what it is that they consciously want. Let's take Let's take an example, make it more concrete. Um, let's say that a person consciously wants um, to be self-determinative, you know, to, to make all their own decisions and all their own choices in life. But unconsciously, they grew up believing that someone outside themselves made all the decisions. They grew up believing either that the parents make all the decisions for them or that God makes all the decisions for them. They grow up believing that they don't have self-determination. So they manifest a life that does not include self-determination because they're manifesting what they truly and deeply believe about life. Even though they consciously would prefer and really want to be self-determinative, to make their own decisions and to, and to lead their own lives, their beliefs are what's being manifested, not their desires. You brought up a really excellent point. I'm wondering if the media is transforming and shaping people's beliefs because I've seen such a dramatic shift in the way people act. I've always, yes. I've always you know, and it's, I'm wondering if, okay, so now people have a different belief, so now reality is just changing. And this is where I'm in the, this is where I'm in the battle with. Like, I just, I want to manifest a reality where everyone is just cool and we just kind of stay out of each other's way and we just, you know, everyone's kind of doing their thing. You do your thing over there. I do my thing over there. I'm not seeing that reality anymore. I'm not, <laughs> I, see the, I see that reality kind of fading away. And I'm like, you know, trying to plug up that reality. I'm like, come on, come on. I want, I want this. But I feel like it's, it's just fading away. So how do we, is there anything that people that, you know, want a, that peaceful reality? What, what can we do? Are we just, are we, again, I think I asked this earlier, but are we, are we destined for that? If people are constantly, you know, accepting the beliefs that they want to have life this particular way, are we destined to follow the, the manifestations of the majority? No. Okay. Yeah, absolutely not. Positively not. What we can do is become aware of our beliefs. I think that's the biggest problem um, in the manifesting uh, equation that people are not aware that they have these hidden unconscious beliefs from childhood that are holding them back, that are keeping them from being happy, that are keeping them from manifesting the life that they want to have. And, you know, so many people... You know, you tell them they've got to, you know, go back to their childhood and, you know, figure out, you know, what went wrong and what, you know, they go, oh, I'm not going to do that. You know, sounds like therapy. 
Well, it kind of is therapy, but it's something you can do yourself. You know, if you are completely opposed to introspection and self-analyzation and getting in touch with your own unconscious beliefs, you are never going to improve your life. Never. It takes reflection, introspection, and understanding what you really do believe so that you can change it if it's not serving you well. So back to the, the example of the person that is not wants to be self-determinative but isn't, that person is going to have to become aware that they grew up thinking their parents were supposed to make all the decisions for them. Now, they probably, big chunks of that belief were probably fallen by the wayside as they grew up and as they became adults themselves and as they had children, they started making decisions for their children. They start, you know, they've started getting a better perspective on that. So maybe they don't believe that so much, but they might believe that God controls their life, that God makes all the decisions. And you, you've got to get over that belief. Or you, they might believe that their spouse makes all the decisions. You've got to get over that belief by enlightenment, you know, analyzing it, looking at it and seeing, is that really what I want? Is that what I want to manifest? Is for somebody else to have control over my life. And that's the biggest reason why I've written these books and I, I speak about what I learned in the afterlife is to let people know they are powerful. We souls are source. We are powerful. Nobody else controls our lives. We do it ourselves. And because we do it ourselves, we can change it. If we don't like what we're saying, we can change it. Nancy, if you are speaking inside a stadium, I think that right now that would be like people would give me a round of applause, but that's awesome. That was really positive. <laughs> that's really, I mean, you know, I, I just want to, I, I, I really, I, you know, I would love to end off with that question, but I can't help it because I just have one more question for you. And that question is, <laughs> uh, I listen to, um, I listen to affirmations. I record my own, my own, my voice saying it. And the first thing I say is I am source. That's the first affirmation I say. I try to listen to it as often as I can. Are there other affirmations that people can say that they can listen to that would, I don't know, make them stronger? Are there other manifestations? Are there other things that they can say that will kind of embed them, embed in their subconscious that will allow them to, um, I don't know, become a co-creator of the reality in, in a more spectacular form? No. I was told in the afterlife that affirmations, while they might make you feel good for a moment, are not effective in changing your core beliefs. So you can tell yourself, 80,000 times a day, I am thin and beautiful. And if you are overweight and don't take care of your looks, saying that 80,000 times a day is not going to change a thing. The only way you can change a belief is by focusing on the belief, not by pretending that you have a new one by using affirmations. It's Nancy Dadison. I want to thank you so much again. again Nancy's been a, a beloved part of our program since we started from the very first year. Nancy was actually our fourth or fifth guest. But uh, Nancy's got several books. And one of our recent books was called Create a New Reality, Move Beyond the Law of Attraction. You can learn more about Nancy by going to two different websites. The first one is called 
backwardsbooks.com. The second one is nancydanison.com, N-A-N-C-I-D-A-N-I-S-O-N.com. I've read all of Nancy's books, and I love them, and I reread them on a regular basis, especially when the world out there is getting crazy. So I think Nancy's books are very grounding, at least for me, and I highly recommend you check them out. Also, Nancy has uh, CDs, she's got DVDs, and she also does uh, personal consulting. So, uh, Ms. Nadison, great honor to have you with us. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our beloved guest and dear friend, Nancy Dennison. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Constance Dallas, and Ms. Lisa McGarity. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you... And abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care and thank you so much for listening.